0: It's good to be back with all of you tonight on a Wednesday night here at Grace, and my name is is Derek, as Matt said, and I feel very fortunate to have the opportunity to open up the Word of God with you all tonight. Um, and we are looking at a, a tremendous passage in Second Corinthians, or excuse me, First Corinthians, chapter two, and, and I'm just thrilled to to teach this, and I hope it's clear. I think I think you guys will see why why I'm excited about this passage after. But if you will, please open up your Bibles with me to First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through 16, and we'll start there. So I'll, I will read it and then we'll pray. Verse six: "Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages. No one comprehends the thoughts of God, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So in our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and, and previous, the Apostle Paul has been talking about and addressing the topic of wisdom. We have seen that man's wisdom and God's wisdom are opposed. We, we see that man's wisdom will lead them further and further away from God, as we have clearly seen in Deontay, Josh, and Matt's teaching. And in fact, we see that man's wisdom cannot give them a right relationship with God, and it cannot reach them eternal life. Man's wisdom will pass away. We see it here in verse 6, that these people who rely on their wisdom will one day pass away. Their wisdom will pass away. And just like that, they're standing before God, and they're going to... Be judged and see how far their wisdom got them. It is foolish for man, God's creation, to think that he can comprehend the Creator. That is like saying that this piece of paper, this, this pen here, can comprehend us as humans. The creature cannot comprehend the Creator. And in fact, A.W. Tozer addresses this issue in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He writes this, he says, when we try to imagine what God is like, we must of necessity use that which is not God, which is natural, as the raw material for our minds to work on. Hence, whatever we visualize God to be, he is not. For we have constructed our image out of that which he has made, and what he has made is not God. If we insist upon trying to imagine him, we end with an idol. So essentially what Tozer is saying here is that we have no knowledge of God within ourselves. And what we do is we try to take something that's true of this world something that is natural and that is not God, and we try to apply that to God, and we end up thinking of God wrongly, and then that turns into an idol, and we know what God, how God feels about idols. He hates idols. And so, therefore, because there is no means of truly knowing God, within ourselves, He is unknowable and incomprehensible to us. So we have a problem. God is, God is who we were created for. We were created to glorify God, we are created and commanded to love God above all else. But how can we glorify and love someone who we don't even know? Someone who is incomprehensible. In fact, Jesus says in John 17:3 that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Christ whom you have sent. And, and so we have a problem because Jesus is equating eternal life with knowing God, a God who is unknowable. But there's only one solution to this problem, and that is that God reveal himself to us, which by his grace and his loving kindness he has done. And that is what Paul addresses here in our text of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses six through 16. So what Paul does here in this passage is he first, in the first three verses, addresses the greatest manifestation and expression of God's wisdom. And that is found in the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, to reconcile and redeem sinful man and bring them into a right relationship with himself. And then in the second half of the passage, he will address God's wisdom as a whole revealed to us. And we must note that Paul has a purpose for addressing wisdom. He doesn't just address this for no reason, but he addresses it to correct the Corinthians. The Corinthians had a philosophical mindset, so they were thinking about things wrongly. They were thinking about things by observation and by human reason, and they were bringing that into the church and into the way that they thought about God, and therefore they were thinking about God wrongly. So what Paul is gonna do here in our passage is is he's gonna correct their thinking and show how God has revealed himself to us. And with that as our introduction, let's get into our passage, starting in verse six. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And to help us better understand this passage, we must first understand who Paul is talking to. He says, yet among the mature. And some translations will say, yet among the perfect or or to the perfect. And the idea behind this is the complete in Christ or believers. He uses the same word as the author of Hebrews uses in, in Hebrews 6, 1 and Hebrews 10, 14, referring to believers there as well. So Paul is simply referring to believers in this case. So what we now have is yet, among believers, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So right after Paul had previously made clear to us that he does not speak a message of wisdom, that he preaches Christ and Christ crucified, and that's, that's his message, right? He says, that's the one message I preach. But now it seems like he's contradicting himself here in our passage, saying, yeah, I do preach wisdom. He says, I don't preach man's wisdom but yet I do preach wisdom. So we know that he can't be contradicting himself. We know that he wouldn't say he preaches one message and one message only, and then in the next passage, passage, say he preaches a new message. But rather, how this message is received is the difference here. And to make this more clear, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. He says, but we... Preach Christ crucified. And we know that that is Paul's message, but note how his message of Christ crucified is received differently. He says, To the Jews it was a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles it was folly, but to those who are called, believers, are called, his message is received as wisdom, and this is the wisdom that Paul is speaking of here in our message or in our passage. And now turning back to our passage, let's look at how Paul describes this wisdom. So, remember that here in the first three verses, Paul is addressing the wisdom of God found in the gospel. First, he tells us what this wisdom is not. He says that it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. So, again, Paul emphasizes the fact, as he has made abundantly clear before, he does not preach man's wisdom. This wisdom does not come from man. In fact, man could not even come up with this wisdom on his own due to man's limitations that we talked about in the introduction, and we will continue to talk about here in a minute. But this verse also shows us that worldly wisdom is temporal. It will one day pass away. It says that their wisdom, the wisdom of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And that is the first limitation of human understanding. And it is that their wisdom is limited by time. Their understanding is limited by time. And man can only learn so much, he dies, and then his wisdom is gone. So how can man, who has limitations on his wisdom, understand an infinite and eternal God? Paul then goes on in verse 7 to contrast verse 6 and tells us what wisdom he is speaking of. He says, we don't impart a worldly wisdom, but rather we impart the secret and hidden wisdom of God. Paul is revealing the wisdom of God. And before Paul tells us how he can reveal the wisdom of God, he's going to continue describing this wisdom. And we can see two main things regarding the wisdom of God here in this passage. We see that, we see number one, that God's plan that he had decreed before the ages was secret and hidden until now. And we also see that God's wisdom was revealed for our glory or for our sake. So what does it mean that the wisdom of God is secret and hidden? Or in some translations, it calls it a mystery. What what Paul is not saying is that it's That it's confusing or hard to understand, but rather what the word mystery refers to something that is secret that has not been revealed until the present time or until the time that Paul wrote this message. And you guys know this. You've heard of the word mystery being used in the New Testament. And that is what Paul says. Uh, He talks about the, the wisdom of God being a mystery now revealed. God in eternity past had designed a plan to redeem fallen and sinful man, and reconcile him back to himself. And he is now revealing that to mankind. He, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, that the mystery of Christ was not made known to other generations as it has now been made known to the Ephesians and the rest of the generations following. God has revealed to us through Paul the mystery that Christ is the atonement for our sin. This is a truth that was not known in eternity past, that is not known from creation on until Paul reveals it at this time. And we know that in order to to accept the sacrifice of Christ's atonement for our sin, we must repent and believe. That is to turn away from your sin and submit your will and your life to Christ so we can be saved. And the whole New Testament is filled with this message because they understand that man's greatest need is to be saved. Man's greatest need is to be reconciled to his creator. And so this message is filled in the New Testament Because God chose to reveal it at this time. God chose to reveal his hidden wisdom at this time. And the second thing that Paul tells us about God's wisdom in verse 7 is that God has revealed it to us for our glory. While the world's teaching leads them to their damnation and eternal destruction, God's wisdom leads to our eternal glory and our future glorification. The words for our glory remind me of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 that says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ suffered in our place for the sake of our justification, and now the message of Christ has been revealed by God for the sake of our glorification. And then he says, listen, he says the the rulers of this age did not understand this. He says the best and the wisest of the world did not have any understanding of God's truth they were blind to this as is evidenced by the fact that they crucified that they executed the lord of glory on a cross in fact peter in acts 3:17 says this he says that it is in willful ignorance that the rulers of this age crucif- rulers of this age crucified christ and even paul admits in 1st timothy chapter 1 saying that he had received mercy although he had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Guys, this verse here, verse 8, shows us the outcome of human wisdom. To the world, Christ is nothing. To God, he is the Lord of glory, and the world crucified the Lord of glory on a cross. That is what human wisdom will lead to. But why did the world not understand the wisdom of God? Well, let's look at verse 9. Paul uses a quote here from Isaiah chapter 64. Verse four he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. This verse is often used out of context and and is misused and is thought of as as to be speaking of the wonders of heaven. And not to diminish heaven in any way, this is not what Paul is speaking of, as we can clearly see here in this context. He is not speaking of the wonders of heaven. But rather, this verse shows us man's limitations in coming to an understanding of God. And there are two main ways that, that humans can come to an understanding of things. The first is by reason, and the second is by observation. So we see in this verse that human observation, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard, cannot help us comprehend or understand God. And human reason, what the heart of man can imagine, what we can fathom in our minds, that cannot help us understand God. So man cannot discover God neither externally nor internally. And to help us understand this, turn with me to Job chapter 11, verse 7. And in this passage we have Zophar, a Naamathite, who is interrogating Job. And he asked him a question in which the answer is the same for all of us. He asked, starting in verse 7, Can you find out the deep things of God? Or a better translation is, Can you by searching find out God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? It is deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Listen, man cannot come to God in his own doing. Man cannot come to God by observation or reason. Due to his limitations, it is impossible. But God has come to him. God in his loving kindness and grace has come to us and revealed himself to us. And turn back to our passage with me. And we'll look at the last half of verse 9. And here in the last half of verse 9, we see that God is prepared. God is ready to reveal himself to those who love him. He, he reveals himself to the seeking heart. He reveals himself to the broken heart, the humble heart, that sees their need for a Savior. He reveals himself to those who come to him by faith and love, desiring a relationship with him. But how does God do this? If salvation and eternal life are resting on the fact that we know God and can have a relationship with him, it is important that we know how he reveals himself so that we can know him and love him as he truly is. And here it is, here's how God reveals himself to us. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. It is the very Spirit of God that reveals himself to us. And the Spirit does this in three ways. The first is by revelation, as we see in verses 10 and 11. The second is by inspiration, verses 12 and 13. And the third is by illumination, that we see in verses 14 through 16. So first by by revelation let's look at verses 10 and 11. We already know that God or that is it is the spirit of God that reveals himself to us. But let's look at how he can do so. The spirit can reveal to us God's truth because he searches everything, even the depths of God. And the word searches that is used here can be better understood as as a full understanding. It is the same word that that David uses when he says in Psalm 139, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me," the Lord has a full understanding of us, as does the Spirit of God has a full understanding of God. And the Spirit of God, and only the Spirit of God, we see in this verse, has an understanding of the depths of God or the deep things of God. And those deep things of God are God's greatest longings and God's greatest desires and God's plans for His creation, for His eternal glory. And that's what the Spirit understands. And Paul explains what he means here by the spirit, under, the spirit of God understanding God. And he calls on our own human wisdom. So he says, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? And let me illustrate this point. So as you're sitting in your seats, I want you to be aware of what you're thinking in your mind right now. So you know, you know your thoughts, you know uh, your desires, you know your longings, your plans. You have it all in your mind. You're conscious of that right now. And now ask yourself, what is Matt thinking right now? No one knows what Matt is thinking right now. No one can comprehend Matt. Because only Matt's spirit that is within him can comprehend Matt. Only Matt is conscious and aware of his own thoughts. And so it is with the Spirit of God. Paul says, and so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So we see that only the Spirit of God understands the depths of God. But why does, why does this matter? Look at verse 12. It says, Now we, and that we there means Paul and the other apostles. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now this promise that the spirit will give us full understanding is not for all of us, but it is specific to the apostles. And look with me at John chapter 14 verse 26 where Jesus promises this Holy Spirit to the apostles, this spirit that they have received. Chapter 14, verse 26. And look what he says the Spirit will do in verse 26. He says to the apostles, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things. And then turn two chapters to John 16, verse 13. Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So we see in these passages that it is the spirit of God that leads Paul and the other apostles into the understanding of the deep things of God. It is the spirit that has been given to the apostles that now teaches them all things of the spirit of God and now that they are going to reveal to us. And have you ever wondered, I know I've wondered, how did John, so many years after the gospel, or excuse me, so many years after Christ's life, he wrote his own gospel account with specific detail of Jesus' life. How did he do that? Well, it explains it right here. He was given the Spirit, and the Spirit leads him into remembrance of all things and leads him into all the truth. So it is because they have the Spirit that they can reveal the deep things of God. In fact, this was the apostles' ministry. The apostles' purpose and ministry and, and focus was to reveal the things of God to the world. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, This is how one should regard us, or regard the apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That was the apostles' very purpose, was to reveal the mysteries of God that God had hidden in secret, until his timing to reveal those things to us. So now what we have is we have God is incomprehensible, but yet he comes to us by his spirit. His spirit leads the apostles in all the truth, and now the apostles reveal themselves, or reveal the truth of God to the world. And now turning back to our passage with me, just one page to the left, we will see how the apostles reveal these truths to us. And guys, this is exciting right here. Verse 13, it says, And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Paul says, we give this truth, we give these things of God to you in words. So the last half of the ex- explanation here in verse 13 is a phenomenal uh, description of how the doctrine of inspiration. It says, we interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Some translations, and probably a better translation is, we take spiritual thoughts and we put them in spiritual words. It was the Spirit of God that was giving the apostles the thoughts, taking those thoughts and penning them down in words. And where did the apostles record their words? And where did they write these things? They wrote them right here in the, in the Bible, in Scripture. So we have in Scripture the very words of God. And we can trust that scripture is the very words of God because they are given to us by the Spirit of God. The Bible is God's form of communication to us. He has revealed himself to us by the Spirit through his word. His Spirit has inspired authors of his word. And now we will look at how his Spirit illuminates his word to the believers so that we can understand it. Because if, if the Spirit did not illumine these things, if, if the Spirit's work was not in us to illumine the word of God, then revelation and inspiration would mean nothing to us because we could not understand it. And here in verse 14, Paul shows the necessity of the illumination of the spirit. By teaching his point here in a negative uh, context, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural person can't understand God's truth and God's wisdom because the natural person or the unsaved person does not have the Spirit of God. We know that it is believers who are promised the Spirit of God. And he says the natural person cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. And an example that we see of this from Scripture is the Pharisees. They, they gave their lives, they gave everything they had to studying the Scripture and knowing the Scripture and teaching the Scripture Yet over and over in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is correcting their, their thoughts of Scripture, correcting their interpretation of Scripture. In fact, they didn't even recognize or receive their Messiah, who they had been longing for when he came, because their eyes were blinded to the word of God. They were natural men trying to understand spiritual truths. They had the spirit of the world that is mentioned here in verse 12, and they, rather than the spirit of God. The unsaved man is spiritually dead, and it says in Ephesians chapter 2. So how can a a dead man, a spiritually dead man, understand the things of the Spirit? He can't do it. It's impossible for him. And just as the physically blind cannot see the Son, so the spiritually blind cannot see the Son of God. They both need to be illumined by the Holy Spirit. So God must open our eyes, open up the eyes of our understanding, before we can rightly understand his truth. And Martin Luther said this in terms of, in reference to the illuminating work of the Spirit. He said, The Bible cannot be understood simply by study or talent. You must count only on the influence of the Holy Spirit. And the psalmist of Psalm 119 understood this. He oftentimes prayed, Oh God, would you open my eyes that I can behold wondrous things from your law? He prayed over and over that God would give him understanding of the scripture that he patterned his life after. And on the other hand, however, the spiritual person, or the converted man, it says, can judge all things. And how can the spirit, spiritual person judge all things or have understanding of all things? Because he has a teacher, or the truth teacher, the, the helper that Jesus calls the helper, or the Holy Spirit. It is because the spiritual person has the Holy Spirit to enlighten him, and give him understanding of all that God reveals him, that he needs to know. John speaks of this illuminating work of the Spirit in First John chapter two. He says, "But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught it to you, abide in him. God's Holy Spirit guides the true believer into all the truth. Although his promise of inspiration was specific to the apostles, his promise of illumination is for all true believers, that they may be be able to understand his truth. Then Paul contrasts here. He says, he contrasts the natural with the spiritual. He says, but the spiritual person is himself to be judged by no one. And so what does this mean? The spiritual person can be judged by no one. What Paul's getting at here is, The world understands the faithful man just as much as he understands the word of God. He can't understand the faithful man. The world doesn't know us. The world can't comprehend us. They can't know us any more than they knew Christ. And what did they do to Christ? They crucified him on a cross. And Jesus says, listen, they'll do the same to you. Because they hate, just as they have hated Christ, they will hate you also. The gospel is a stumbling block and foolishness to the world. And so is faith based on the gospel. Have you guys ever experienced this? Have you experienced uh, someone not being able to comprehend you or or not being able to understand the truth that you follow or or the God that you know and love? And if we haven't haven't had an experience like this or we haven't had somebody question us, then we need to examine ourselves. I need to examine myself whether or not we're living by the world's standards or by God's standards. Listen guys, the, the world will, will laugh at us, the world will mock us, the world will mistreat us just as they did to Christ, but all throughout the New Testament we hear the word: stand firm, stay focused on the path that you're headed, because we know, we know where we're headed. We're, have, we're headed to heaven for eternity, and where is the world headed? I mean, the, the world is headed to damnation and eternal destruction, so stand firm and fixed on, on the path that God has called you to by his grace. And then Paul asks here, he says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? What well, Paul is asking is, what unsaved man, what natural man thinks the thoughts of God, or thinks God's thoughts? None of them can. Unbelievers oftentimes, they oftentimes want to correct us, and they want to correct believers. They say, no, this isn't right. This, I mean, you're doing this all wrong. They think that what we follow, the, the truth that we follow revealed in Scripture, they just want to argue with the believer. And what Paul is saying is, is they're not questioning you. When they, ask, when they question these truths, they're not questioning us, but they question God so as to instruct him. And how, how foolish is this? But then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. And the word mind here can better be translated as understanding. The same word, is used here as it was used when Jesus on the road to Emmaus opened up the disciples eyes so that they could understand the scriptures. And this is exactly what the spirit does to us. He opens our eyes that we may be able to understand the scriptures. But friends, Paul does not say these things. He doesn't say that you have the mind of Christ. He doesn't say that the world can't comprehend you to build up our pride. But rather he says this so that the natural man will see that he is not living in the truth, that he is living in a lie that his wisdom will pass away and, and he will see how far it gets him. He is saying these things in hope that he will come to know the truth and walk the narrow path. And as we close here, I want to turn to two passages. And the, the first passage is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. And Paul is... Paul is telling Timothy have this mindset as you approach the truth that is revealed to you have this have this focus and be obedient to this have this mindset as you as you study the word of God he says do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth and guys this is exactly the mindset that we should put on the doctrine of illumination does not automatically mean that we have full understanding of everything and we, we know this we see arguments between different doctrines and and we see that there's still confusion but what the doctrine of illumination does mean is the Christian who is obedient and diligent in the scriptures can understand all that God has revealed to us and lastly please turn with me to John seventeen twenty six, and this is a beautiful passage Jesus is praying to the father First, he prays on, on behalf of the apostles. And then in verse 20 of chapter 17, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's praying for us. In verse 26, he says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Guys, God reveals himself to us that we can share in the love of the Trinity. He reveals himself to us that we may be able to love and be delighted in and enjoy the Son just as the Father does. This is, this is tremendous. This is a beautiful truth that God reveals himself to us that we may know him and love him and enjoy him forever. What an awesome God that we know and love. And with that, let's, let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your revelation to us. Lord, it is is through your word that we know the gospel message that Christ has died for our sins. Paul said Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he rose on the third day according to the scriptures. And it is according to your word that you have revealed to us that we may know you, that we have, have eternal life by the death of Christ, Lord. We are thankful for that. I pray that our hearts would be... Focused on your word, fixed on your word, would we pattern our lives after your truths, God? We know that your truths contain your deepest longings and desires for us, Lord, and and that convicts my heart, and I pray that it would convict those who understand that the, the word of God holds your greatest desires of our lives. Lord, would we take it seriously in obedience? Father, would we live it out for your glory? I pray these things in Christ's name, amen.